These are some of the biggest patterns that I had to crack in order to break through my financial glass ceiling. Welcome to The Underestimated Entrepreneur, where I share mindset, lifestyle, and business hacking tips, tools, and some painful lessons along my journey from growing my businesses and also working with some of the top entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professional athletes. Driven mofos, welcome back to another episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur. If you don't know who I am, I'm Michael Mojo. I'm the owner of Mojo Human Performance Institute, where we focus on business, mindset, and lifestyle hacking for driven mofos. And the reason why I do these episodes is because most people in business are struggling in some way, shape, or form. There are a lot of people out there who want to get better results, who want to achieve more. And I really believe that most people waste their life, and I just don't want you to be one of them. I wanted to share today a post that I wrote a couple of weeks ago on my Facebook page. If you haven't jumped on my Facebook page yet, it's Michael Mojo Double Zero on Facebook. Jump across, check it out, because I post stuff on there regularly. But this post here, I really wanted to share something that really helped me break through my financial roadblocks, and I think that this will help a lot of people as well. And so I just want to go through its 10 steps that really massively helped me to break through those financial glass ceilings. And so what would happen was when I was younger, I never really had a lot of money. So growing up, money was always a stress at our household. And My dad worked two jobs. We lived in a lower socioeconomic area back in the day. We always sort of lived decent. It wasn't like I didn't grow up in the slums, so it wasn't as bad as what it could have been. But it wasn't great either. You know, I'd go to school and kids would play basketball and they'd have Nikes and all that stuff. I used to wear aero sports because my parents couldn't afford them. And so, you know, my mum would buy $20 shoes for me. And I'm not talking like this was in the 1930s where $20 shoes were like wicked. I'm talking like, you know, $30 shoes versus $100 shoes. You were the poor kid. You know, I used to get picked on quite a lot. And so money became this thing in my mind that had a lot of issues. And so I knew I wanted more money. But at the same time, I used to see people with money and go, they're probably a drug dealer. You know, they probably rip people off. They're a scammer. And I was highly skeptical of people with money. It wasn't because they were bad people. It wasn't even because I had any data. It was just a natural safety mechanism that I had to protect myself from my own inner dialogue and my own inner thoughts. And I find that that happens quite a lot in our society where there are a lot of people out there and they'll say, you know, stupid shit things about people just because it keeps them safe. They don't even go and research and investigate it. And I know there are some dodgy pricks out there. There's plenty of people out there who promote Ponzi schemes and promote, you know, dodgy shit that doesn't work. And yeah, they're always going to be those types of people. They normally are there to make the masses think about things more intelligently. But I also know that there are a lot of intelligent people out there who hold themselves back by never questioning the way that they think about things. I ended up going through a stage where I got my first job, I think I was 13. But even when I was younger, I used to sort of hustle for money a little bit. My parents were quite young when they had me, as you probably heard on other podcasts. And so we would go away on the weekends and everyone would get drunk and party. And there was myself and my sister and would sort of hang out together and just ride our BMX bikes. And I'd always be doing jumps or kicking a footy or running around because I had way too much energy. I was pretty hyperactive. You know, we were always doing something. But what I realized was that when they were all drunk and hung over, no one wanted to do the dishes. So I would walk around and collect $2 from everybody or a dollar coin, anything that was gold. I would just say, chuck a gold coin in my hat. And I'd walk around, people chuck a gold coin in my hat, and then I'd go and do the dishes. And so I might earn 50 bucks on a Sunday just by doing dishes for everybody. And I was like eight or nine years of age. So I always sort of thought like that in a way, because I just wanted to buy a cool set of basketball shoes so that I wasn't the poor kid at school. As I got a bit older, I realized that at about the age of 18, I remember going out and buying my first book, which was Mary Buffett's book called Buffettology. And it was about the way that he invested. 
And so I started thinking about how I could invest because even though I worked, I would work hard. I still didn't have any money and I couldn't figure it out. I was like, what the fuck's going on here? How is it that, you know, I'm working, but I still have no money. And every week I was like living paycheck to paycheck. This was before I actually started full-time work. I was still at school. I was working as a cleaner at nighttime. And so I would still make good money. Like back then as a, you know, a teenager, 17, 18 years of age, you know, I was still making good money, a couple of hundred bucks a week. And, you know, I'd work after hours and all that stuff, get paid penalty rates and whatever on weekends. I was doing all right, but I couldn't figure out why I didn't have any money. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? So I end up, I go out, I buy this book and I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to learn from one of the richest people on the planet how to make money. And a lot of the things that he said weren't really that amazing. It was just, okay, you've got to save some money and you've got to invest a bit. And I went, okay, well, if I had more money, then I could save more. Now, this is a common misconception that most people have, right? Is if I had more money, then I would save more. But the reason why you don't save more and the reason why you don't save is because even when you have a little bit of money, your spending habit is I spend 100% of my money. I started thinking about things a little bit differently and thinking, you know, how can I do this differently? And I slowly started investing a little bit of money into shares. So I opened up back in those days, there was ANZ had something called E-Trade. And so I would open up my E-Trade account. I'd get in there and I'd buy a couple of shares. And within a short period of time, I made, I think it was like about 10 grand or something. And I was like, yes, I've made all this money. I'm crushing it. This is like early 2000s, 2005, 2006, something like that. And so I'm thinking I'm crushing it here. And then I ended up taking out all the money and I went on a trip to Thailand with a bunch of my mates and ended up blowing my whole 10 grand. I got back and I was like, fuck, I'm in the same position again. I can't figure this out. I was doing the right thing, just not really well. And it wasn't until I realized that there was a lot of mindset patterns that were blocking me. And a lot of these blocks I actually didn't break through until I was about 30. So I would live week to week my whole life and I just couldn't figure out how I would get ahead. And now I look back at it, I'm like, what a dumb shit because I kept earning more money, but I still had no money. And I think most people live like this where their natural tendency is just to spend what they have and they will find ways of getting rid of it. You know, bills pop up, things pop up and you go, oh shit. And so you just have these natural tendencies to unconsciously get rid of money. And it wasn't until I really started getting a lot more into my human behavior side of my mindset and really, really, really knuckling down on my psychology that I went from like, I mean, we did $30,000 in our first year of business, 30,000 in our second year, 80,000 in our third, and in our fourth year, we did 1.2 million bucks. And so from going from 80 grand to 1.2 million was huge. But what I noticed was that the difference in mindset shift was actually the biggest thing. And it was that number one, I wasn't playing small. Number two, you know, I wasn't after perfectionism anymore. It just had to work. And so I started doing things a lot different. And maybe I'll do a whole nother podcast on that another day of like how we got that to happen. I'm going to go through some of these patterns here because hopefully they'll help. And these are mine. And so the post says the biggest mindset patterns I needed to crack in order to get our business and finances to break through our earnings bottlenecks. And that's what it was. It was essentially a bottleneck or a glass ceiling that I couldn't break through. And some people naturally can't break through $60,000 a year in income. For other people, it's 100 grand or 120 grand. For some people, it's 300 grand. And I watch guys and girls in the mines make 300,000 a year, make $150,000 a year, and they're still broke. They still have no money and they can't figure it out. It's a psychological pattern and there's multiple things that it can be. But once they work through those, it will open up that earning potential again. The pressure will be enough that it'll push it out and expand everything and they'll grow. So let's go through some of these. So number one, I broke my implanted middle-class beliefs. So I had a lot of beliefs around money that weren't serving me. So number one, money is evil or money is bad. And I would see people on TV who would be making money and I would go, I bet they're an asshole or I would find a way of justifying why they were less than me. You know, they had more money, but hey, at least I'm a good person. You know, they had more money, but hey, I bet they don't have the friends that I have or, you know, I bet they don't have the family that I have. You know, I was always trying to find some way of shit canning them. And I find most Australians for some weird reason do this. I don't know why, but it's a huge insecurity that most people have. The next one was big business and governments control everybody. 
And so I had this belief that, you know, big business is out there just trying to fuck everybody and the governments are out there controlling everybody. And what that does is it just disempowers me. And so by thinking that the government's got control of me and that the government can control and dictate what I do every day and they're pushing the small person down and blah, blah, blah. By reinforcing this over and over again with myself, it disempowered me to a point where I couldn't take action because I had no choice. It was what it was. Like I can bitch and moan and complain about the government, but it wasn't a government problem. It was my problem. It was my mindset problem. I, number one, had allowed, if the government was controlling me, it was because I allowed them to do that. Does the government set boundaries and shit for people? Yes. Are there laws that we need to do and to fit into society? Yes. Are those laws always accurate? No. But at the same time, I can make the best out of any situation. And that's when I started realizing that these beliefs are not serving me. I had to deal with that. And a lot of the time I realized that the best thing about big business is that they're so slow, they're so clunky, and the majority of the time they're so shit, just in customer service and the way that they do things, it's so easy for smaller businesses to get in there and take small parts of their business away. But that's by empowered people, not disempowered idiots like myself that are sitting there complaining about big business and governments controlling everybody. Another one that I had was that rich people rip people off or they rip off those who struggle. And that was because I would get home from work at nighttime, flick on a current affair, and they would always talk about the little Aussie battler and how great the little Aussie battler was and these hardworking Australians get fucked by the man. And so after a while, my beliefs became that people who are wealthy tend to rip off those who aren't. And there's this idea of this hero status of the little Aussie battler who's always battling away and struggling. And I could relate to that because financially I was always struggling and just couldn't get ahead. And so I related to the little Aussie battler. But the truth was that at 6.30 at night time, the majority of people who have shit to do aren't watching a current affair. They're out there working because they've got a greater reason to work. They're pushing hard. They're doing things that inspire them. You know, I don't work until 10 o'clock at night because I'm suffering. I'm working at 10 o'clock at night because I actually enjoy doing it. And I enjoy the process of getting better every day and overcoming obstacles and serving people and helping our customers to be better. And the more that I do that, the greater the business becomes. So after a while, business becomes this self-fulfilling thing that helps you to be better in all areas of life. But what normally happens is there's this idea that when you're a little Aussie battler and you're struggling and you start your startup business and you're struggling and everything's hard and it's tough, that mindset can consume you and then keep you trapped. And that's what had happened to my mindset as well. And so I would find reasons to connect with people who were struggling. And that little Aussie battler metaphor became one for me as well, was that I was battling as well. So I saw people who were making a lot more money as being, you know, not as struggling as what I am and no one would ever understand. And so I would justify that to myself. You need to have rich parents to get ahead in life. So I would hear this a lot from people, especially in the lower or lower middle class, is that, well, everyone who has money, they always have parents with money and, you know, they inherit money and blah, blah. When I actually had a look at the statistics and the data, it's something like only 3% of millionaires or 7% of millionaires or something have inherited any form of decent financial income. There might be people who get a couple of grand or 10 grand or 20 grand or something like that. But the majority of people don't inherit a lot of money anyway when their family die. By the time, you know, everything's taken care of and whatever debts are left or whatever. Now, that's not saying that that's always the case. But most millionaires don't start with a million bucks. Most millionaires are self-made statistically. And they have grown that through their hard work and their drive and their desire to want to be better. And this is why in Australia, last time I looked at the statistics, you're more likely to be a millionaire if you come here as an immigrant than if you're born in Australia. Now, that makes me laugh when people say, well, you've got to be born with money because these are people who are rocking up here essentially with the clothes on their back. And the only thing that they have is a work ethic. They have a work ethic and they have this idea of if I can just serve people and do a good enough job, then one day things will get better for me in life. And they normally do. And the philosophy that most people that I meet who are normally born in the lucky country like Australia 
is I don't want to work. I want to have four-day weeks. I don't want to work weekends. I want to get paid triple time for public holidays. I want to be paid 300 grand a year after leaving university without any experience. You know, I want to be a 17-year-old kid or an 18-year-old kid that leaves school and I want to be a millionaire in 12 months. This is an entitlement mentality that a lot of people have, which is the thing that keeps them trapped. When you go from what do I get to how can I serve others, that becomes a different life experience and business is very much about serving others. So I had to get rid of that whole mentality of the rich parents or the idea of what do I get out of it. Now, it's important to know what your value is. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. But at the same time, if you don't have a way of serving people, then start there before you are thinking about what do I get in return? When I seen someone with something better than me, I would automatically think that they were a bad person doing something illegal, ripping people off, or there must be something that they're doing that makes them less than me. And that was a counterbalancer. Something that I know about human behavior is that anytime you look up to somebody, you automatically have to start trying to figure out a way of putting them down, or if not, you put yourself down. So when I would see someone who was more successful than me, I would look up to them and go, wow, look at what they've got. But automatically in my head, my automatic conscious response was, oh, I bet they're doing something wrong. I bet they rip people off. Oh, they look like an idiot. I bet they're fucking stupid. And so I would have these reactions towards them. Oh, look at that. They can't park for shit. Oh, look at that. Their hair's fucking crap. And I would have these crazy responses. They would be conscious, but there were unconscious triggers that were doing it. And it wasn't until I learned a lot about how the brain counterbalances itself that when you look up to someone, you automatically start either putting yourself down or putting someone else down. What that was doing was it was putting down people that I also admired in a way. I just didn't want to admit that I admired them. And I see this all the time with my cars. I rock up somewhere and someone talks shit about me. They've never met me. They don't know anything about me. But it's just that their natural response is to do that because they look at it and go, fuck, how's this young guy got a car like that? And so in a way, they're admiring what I've done and what I've got. But at the same time, in order to deal with that admiration, then they have to find a way of putting me down. And that's the thing that they're consciously aware of. So I had to break through that pattern as well. I was thinking that money was always hard to come by. So I kept reinforcing psychologically. Oh, it's so hard to make money. It's so hard to get ahead. You know, it's always a struggle. I don't understand why I'm always struggling. And that reinforced it. In fact, I actually have a $5 note sitting on my computer right here. If you're on YouTube and you're watching on our YouTube page, if you're not on our YouTube channel, please jump across to our YouTube channel because you actually get to watch me live talk about this stuff in the podcast. And also I dump extra content on different platforms. If you're on the YouTube channel, there's extra bonus platforms. So if you subscribe, you'll get that stuff come up. But you'll see that I have a $5 note in my hand. This is a $5 note that I found when I was walking a couple of weeks ago. And what I do is every time I look at it, I just remind myself that money is easy to come by and money is always around me. And it was just, I was walking and I was like, oh, there's five bucks on the ground. And I was with Jess and Jess said to me, see, you're always attracted to money. And I went, I know, because I believe now that money is just the exchange of value. And when you're adding value to the world, money just comes to you naturally because that's what it is. It's what it's for. And you use that money in order to create more value. And that's it. If I want to buy something, I'm buying something that I perceive is valuable. If I want to spend money on something, I spend money on something that I perceive is valuable to me. Now, if I look at something and I get impulsive and I'm like, oh, I want to buy that thing because it's like exciting. I stop and I go, hang on, is this valuable or not valuable? Because if it's not valuable, then I'm just doing it because I'm impulsive in that moment. And it's going to make me feel good for two minutes and then make me feel like shit afterwards. This is why I spend a lot of money on personal development, personal growth, studying, learning, because I know the value that that has. I also know that most people that I talk to don't want to spend money on personal development, don't want to spend money on their own growth. And then they wonder why they're not getting the things that they want in life. Yet they'll buy a carton of beer every weekend. They'll drink a couple of bottles of wine during the week. They'll go out for dinner. All of those things without realizing, essentially, they're saying that's what I value. So if I value alcohol more than I value healthy food, then they'll buy alcohol and they'll eat shit. Just remember that money is an exchange of value and we spend money on what we perceive is valuable. People say, I hate bills, then don't fucking pay them. But essentially, if you've got a mobile phone, you've got to pay your phone bill because you find your phone valuable. 
When you see money that way, it actually changes the way you operate and the way you live. And it also makes you more grateful for having money and also more grateful for the service that you provide to earn that money. Anyway, believing that money would make life easier and eliminate my problems that I had at the time. Now, I've said this before in other podcasts, but money only solves money problems. Having more money won't solve your relationship problems. It won't solve your self-worth problems. It won't solve the fact that you look in the mirror and hate yourself. It won't solve the fact that you mentally punish yourself consistently. It won't solve any of those problems. I mean, it might if you come to my Thrive Time event or something like that, but you can use that money. But at the same time, money really only solves money problems. There are other problems that need to be solved in different ways. But a lot of people think that money solves everything and eliminates all their problems and it doesn't. It just creates a whole bunch of other ones. What I know is that the more money that I've made, the more responsibilities I have and the more it traps you. But most people think when I have more money, then I'll get more freedom. And the truth is that if you think like that, all that will happen is you'll get more money and you'll blow that money because you don't see it as being, I make more money, therefore I have more responsibilities and more accountabilities. So there are more insurances, there's more taxation, there's more legal to do, there's more accounting to do. There's a whole bunch of things that come with that. When you make more money, you have to do all that stuff. Money can make life easier because you have more opportunities, but at the same time as well, it's still a mindset shift. Like every time I talk to someone, they say, you know, I just wish I had more money so that life would be easier. I know that the fact that they said that, they're looking for an easy life, which is the reason why they don't have money. So the fact that they think that life's gonna be easier when they have money is the reason why they don't have money. When someone says, I'll have more freedom when I make more money, they also don't realize that having more money comes with a whole bunch of risks and consequences. And if they don't see that, that's the reason why they don't have any money. Because they think that the idea of life is to have this idea of freedom. And so what will happen is when they earn money, they will go and blow it on trying to get this idea of freedom. So they'll go on holidays, they will have weekends off, they won't do any work after work and they'll sit on the couch and binge watch Netflix. So they're consistently looking for this idea of freedom, but they can't figure out why they can't get free, but that's because their idea of freedom is the thing that actually causes problems in life, which then traps them. So that was number one. Number two is doing things for myself versus others. Growing my business started out as an I, which meant that I did it because it's what I wanted to do. I was a personal trainer, then I started doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, and then I thought, fuck it, I'm gonna run events. I wanna share this information. And so we started running events. And I knew that I loved educating people and I love teaching. And that's my skill set. Like I don't teach people because I know there are a lot of people out there who teach because it makes money. I don't do that. I'm a teacher first. Like my skill set is teaching and educating. So essentially I'm a teacher that has made a business from teaching human behavior. So the skill set that I have is human behavior and helping people to perform better. I was able to do that as a coach. Because of that, I wanted to do it with more people. So I ran workshops and seminars, which then meant that I had to get good at business. The business started out as me. And so all decisions were my decision. I was consistently stressed that I had to make all the decisions and felt that most of my staff were useless as they couldn't think for themselves. Little did I realize that I was a bottleneck. Getting clear on my company's roadmap, which was the company's vision, the company's mission, the purpose, the values of the company, the goals of the company, and also the KPIs or key performance indicators for staff. Once I did that, it went from being a me business to a we business. So now when our staff come to me, and I actually did a workshop in a large property development company yesterday, where I was in there talking to their team about this. So they brought me in for team training. What I noticed was that in the business, everyone would go back to the business owner. And the business owner I work with privately, and they were consistently stressed out and burnt out. And they're like, I can't believe that staff are always coming to me. Like everything, they come in my office 20 times a day. They ask me 20 different things. You know, it just pisses me off all the time because they're always coming to me. And so the business owner's burnt out. 
The business owners stressed out, staff aren't doing their job. But what I realized was that the business was an I business. It was his business and because of that, he made all the decisions. Now, when staff are uncomfortable about making decision, they will always go to the person that they believe is gonna make the decision, so they go to him. What I trained with them yesterday was that the business is now a we decision. The staff have to understand the mission. The staff have to understand the purpose of the business, why it's there. The staff have to understand the values of the company and agree upon them. The staff then have to understand KPIs and why they're important and how that leads back into the vision and the mission of the company. So once we started doing this, straight away the team became super empowered and they're like, this is great, I'm loving this. And I spoke to that business owner this morning and I said, mate, you've got an amazing team of people and you're very, very lucky. And he said, I know. And I said, mate, yesterday was great for you because what I saw was the team are really empowered. They want to do better. They want to perform. They want to be at their best. But they're just unsure at the moment because everything has to come through you and you're partially micromanaging. And you're partially micromanaging because you don't know how to build the business around this idea of it being a business, not your business. When it's my business, then everyone comes to me because it's my business and I have to make all the decisions. When it's the company, then people will make the decisions based on what's best for the company. And what I explained to them was that if they have a problem, even with the business owner making a certain decision, then you need to come back and explain why it goes against the vision of the company, the mission of the company, the purpose of the company, and the values of the company. And if you can explain that, the business owner should be okay because they're the ones who agreed upon what that vision and the mission is. And so I had to do this in our business about eight months ago where I had to start empowering staff more. And because we had that problem as well, where I was the go-to person for everything. Yet at the same time, I was burnt out, tired. Last year and for the last couple of years, sometimes I would run back-to-back -back events every second week. And some of the events were four, some of the events were seven days. So I would run a seven day event, have no time off, and I would be finishing at you know, eight o'clock at night, get back to the room, go to sleep, wake up the next morning, train back into teaching. So it was absolutely flat stick. And then the following week, I would have to go back into one-on-one -on -one coaching with my private clients, getting back on top of the team, dealing with all the fuck ups that happened last week when I wasn't there in the business, and then bang, I'm into an event again the following week. It was just absolute burnout central. And I didn't realize that I was the problem because it was my business and I had to make all the decisions and I had to clarify everything. Once I built out all the vision, the mission, the purpose, the values, pretty much what we go through in our business odyssey, our business growth odyssey, which is like a 12 month mastermind. I go through this and I talk quite a lot about it in there. But once I I started doing that, bang, it started freeing up heaps of time because now the team weren't making decisions. They were going what's best for the business based on this information. And so they could make those decisions. So that was number two. And that massively helped us break through some financial bottlenecks as well. It took me a while to do that and to do it properly. I'd done it many times in the past, but it didn't work properly. And then about six months ago, I did it properly and bang, it opened everything up again. Number three is realizing that everything has a cost. There is a cost of progress and there's a cost of achievement, just as there's a cost for staying stuck and a lack of progress. I think this is huge because so many people will say things. And in fact, I actually had a meeting today with my team and we were talking about implementing the new technology and the technology had a cost. And the cost was, I don't know, 15 or 20 grand or something in order to do that. And then, you know, the team came to me and they said, well, it's not just that. That's the software cost. The team have to then implement it, which there's a cost associated with that. And there's also a cost associated with the ongoing team development, the training, and all the process that we need to change and put in place in order to make that function correctly. And then I said, okay, I understand that, but what's the cost if we don't do it? And then what we figured out was that it was gonna essentially cost us about 60 to $70,000 to implement this new technology. But if we didn't implement it, it was gonna cost us 100, probably $100, $150,000 in the next 12 months. Let's say it's gonna cost us $50,000 to do something, but it's gonna cost us $150,000 if we don't do it. Therefore, there's a negative $100,000 cost of not implementing this. I think like this, 
consistently about what I do. And I think that's what's allowed me to be fairly driven. What I find though is that most people always complain about the cost. I talk to people on the phone and they'll say things like, I know I need to do this and I know I've been feeling like shit for years, but it's still expensive. And I go, it's fucking expensive not to do it. Like imagine the cost of your life of not achieving what you want. Imagine the cost to your family of you being mentally destructive or feeling shut down. Imagine the cost to your business of not working and surrounding yourself with other business owners and getting the right information that you implement. What's the opportunity cost that you're losing? You might be able to have a $10 million business instead of a $1 million business. You're essentially losing $9 million by not having the right information. Now you're complaining about paying twenty dollars or $30,000. Like, let's think about this properly. Most people just don't look at what the costs are on both sides, but there's always a cost. There's a cost of doing something and there's a cost of not doing something. And so it's just a matter of thinking through these costings. I think it's really important. I had to learn that along my journey as well. That was a huge, huge lesson. So that was number three. Number four is I couldn't live an extraordinary life by making ordinary decisions. I think this creates a lot of conflict in a lot of people that I've seen and most people in our society. Most people that I speak to want to do something extraordinary in life. They believe that they're born to be greater. They believe that they're born to run a great business or they believe that they're born to travel or they're born to do something great with themselves mentally or help people or whatever. But then at the same time, when they go to make a decision to do that thing, they start thinking about everybody else and everybody else is normally fucking average. So now they have the idea or the impact of average people who make average decisions causing chaos in their ability to make a great decision. Now they've got internal conflict. Here's something great that I wanna do, but at the same time, if I do that, I'm gonna be criticized by average people because they make average choices. And at the same time, they tell me that my choices are wrong and they will point out all my flaws and all my mistakes but at the same time, I really want to be great. But at the same time, I don't want to upset my wife or my husband. At the same time, I don't want to upset my family. What will people say if it doesn't work? What happens if I fail again? So there's all of these internal conflicts that they have, all because there's part of them that wants to be great and then also part of them that wants to fit in with people that are average. That's something that normally has huge consequences and normally wastes a lot of time. Because by the time someone gets so fucked off with themselves, and so irritated and so angry that they go, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna do it anyway. That's normally an irrational decision that's been building up for a long, long time that could have been an intelligent decision that they could have made a year ago. And so I just find that a lot of people need a lot of pain in order to make the decision that they were gonna make two months, three months, six years, 10 years ago. And sometimes that decision being made in that way causes also more problems, which then reinforces that pattern of, Maybe I made the wrong decision and that happens. Like I see this in divorce where you've got two people that have got poor communication skills. They're not working effectively with each other. They don't understand each other's values. And so they build up this resentment. They build it up and they build it up and they build it up and they build it up. And you know, you've got one person who wants to go and do something that's going to better their life, but the other person keeps pointing out why that's a dumb idea and holding them back. And so the other person keeps subordinating or putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And then eventually they go through a divorce all the resentment comes out. You know, you're a fucking prick. They're not saying that because of the divorce. They're saying that because there's 20 years of shit that has been built up. And there's 20 years of indecision, poor communication, blaming the other person for not allowing them to do what they want. But at the same time, they've never communicated what they want effectively, nor have they said, I'm going to do this and here's why. Now, if you're in a relationship with someone who loves you, their job is to help you to be the best that you can be. Jess comes to me quite often and she'll say, I wanna buy some new clothes, is it okay? I look at her and I say, I don't know, you're a fucking adult, aren't you? And she looks at me and she smiles and she's like, well, yeah, but I just wanted to get you okay. And I'm like, okay, well, what if I say no? And she's like, oh, I'm not saying no, but I'm just saying, don't ask me, just go and do it. Like we're in this together. If new clothes are gonna make you feel better about yourself and if new clothes are what you need, then go and get new clothes. Like go and do it. Like I don't really care. As I mentioned before on one of our other podcasts, Jess bought our whole house sight unseen. I hadn't seen it. She came to me and said, this is the house that I've been looking at. 
what do you think? Now, I had events on, so I couldn't go and look at the house. So I said to her, look, if you want, like if you have done all your research, which I know she has, and she's very good with that sort of decision making. I said, look, you'll make a better decision than me anyway, so go and do it. And so she ended up going and doing it, negotiated everything and got the deal done. And I was like, fucking sweet. Why? Because she is better at doing that than what I am. Whereas I'm better at other things and it's taken a long, long time for Jess to understand that I'm better than her with a lot of my decision making in the things that I'm skilled at. So growing a business, I will make a lot of decisions that are more risky because I'm more of a visionary type thinker. Whereas she is more of a detailed operations type thinker. So when it comes to detail, she's way better at that sort of stuff. So it's working together to make a better life. Now, what will happen is that a lot of people build up a lot of resentment in their relationship just because they allow the other person to stop them from making decisions. And then they don't have the communication ability to communicate effectively. I see this quite a lot with people who attend our Thrive Time event who are having relationship challenges. It's just a common thing. When they learn how to communicate more effectively, some of the tools that we teach, and then also they understand about each other's values, and where someone is highly valuable in the relationship and they can see that value, it actually increases the value of the relationship overall because I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for someone like Jess. And Jess wouldn't have the opportunities that she has today without someone like me who is more of a risk taker and someone who pushes harder because I would tend to go out and do things differently than what she would. Now, it took us a while to communicate effectively around that, but now that we do, we both know how to get the best out of each other in most cases, sometimes it doesn't always work that way, but you know, your partner needs to understand you and they need to understand what's important to you, which is also your goals. And their job is to help you to achieve that. If it's not, then there's gonna be a lot of issues in the relationship and it might lead to a divorce, it might lead to a breakup, or it might just lead to a lot of shutdown and a lot of resentment and a lot of, you know, there are lots of people out there who have been married for 20 years, but they also have substance abuses because they just go, I can't be fucked dealing with this person again. I'm just gonna drink or I'm just gonna take drugs or, you know, I'm just gonna go out with all my mates because they don't wanna be in the relationship. But at the same time, they don't want change. So that happens quite a lot. So just remember, you can't live an extraordinary life by making ordinary decisions. And this was a big realization for me. Number five was that I couldn't live an extraordinary life by thinking like the majority of average people. I had to come to terms with the fact that most people who settle for average will never understand the decisions, the thoughts, or the actions of somebody who is pushing for a great mission, serving a great purpose, or wanting to live greater overall success in life. Now, I've already gone through a fair bit of that, so that's pretty self-explanatory, but the truth really was that I had to stop allowing other people to influence my decisions at a level that wasn't congruent with what I was trying to achieve. You know, it was great for my family to say, you know, I think that it's a stupid idea that you quit as a diesel mechanic, but once I started making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year as a personal trainer and my mum starts going, shit, he's making more money now as a personal trainer than what he did as a diesel mechanic. Maybe he made the right decision. I always say this in my events. You see the dream and you see the vision inside your head. No one else sees that. So you can go there and say, hey, I want to do this in life. They don't see the vision that you see. You have clarity. You see the vision. The first time they get to see your vision is when you've achieved it. So most people criticize you, tell you that it's the wrong thing to do, say that it's stupid and will try to hold you back until you've achieved it. Once you've achieved it, they'll come to you and say, I always knew you'd do it. They forget all the negativity and shit that they spread. I remember a while ago, I caught up with some friends I hadn't seen in years. And this was my group of friends who would drink a lot and we would go to the pub every night after work. A lot of them smoked weed and a lot of them smoked cigarettes and all that sort of stuff. And I never smoked cigarettes. I still haven't had a cigarette. Now as a 39 year old, I've never touched one. Shouldn't I've never touched one. I've just never put one in my mouth. I've never had any drugs. So that's never been a thing for me. Actually, when I say I haven't smoked a cigarette, I have had a cigar, but that's about it. I haven't ever felt the need for it. And I realized that I wasn't where I wanted to be in life and that I thought about my future and I thought is going to the pub every day after work something that's going to lead to a better life or is it going to lead to a worse life? And it's either going to push me in one direction or another direction. And what's that direction look like? When I realized it wasn't the right thing to do, I ended up not hanging around with those friends as much as what I used to. 
And over time, they would criticize me and judge me and say, you think you're better than us? And I would hear everyone talking shit behind my back and you'd hear all these things come out. And you know, I thought it was really sad because all I wanted to be was I just wanted to be better. And I didn't want them to be worse. I wanted them to be better. And I would try to inspire them to come along to some of the personal development events that I would go to. I would say to them, you know, read some of these books and they'd tell me to go fuck myself. And nah, man, I'm not going to do this shit. Maybe you've gone through this as well. Some of your old friends might say. The interesting thing was about six months or a year ago or whatever it was, I was out and about and I'd started catching up with my friend that I've spoken about before who's in jail. Before he went to jail, he said, hey, there's me and a heap of the boys are going down to the beach. And it wasn't far from my house and I was out and about cruising the car. I think I was coming back from having a coffee or something. And anyway, I said, I'll pop past. So anyway, I caught up with them. It was great seeing them again because they are really, really great people. And I really wish the best for them. And I wish that more of them would come and do my work because they are really fucking good people. I just remember the person who I'd been best friends with for years, his niece was also the one who was killed in the car accident that sort of changed my life. And if you haven't heard the story, it was just she was killed in a car accident and sort of made me reassess everything that I was doing. And I was a mechanic back in those times, a diesel mechanic. So this was late teens, early 20s. Anyway, I remember him just saying, they would call me Mickey J. And they said, Mickey J, we always knew that you'd achieve something great. You're always different. And I went, wow, that's interesting because I was that guy who, when I was starting to change, no one said to me, hey, go and do it. Like, I know you'll be great. I know you'll do the best. They weren't the conversations that we were having. The conversation was, you think you're better than us. You're a wanker. Oh, look at what he's doing. He's getting ripped off. He's gone to all these personal development events. Everyone's scamming his money. What a fucking fool. And I'm sure a lot of you who are listening to this also has this from friends and family as well. Like, you know, a lot of people had said that over the years. Like, these people are scamming you. You're going to get ripped off. You know, you're spending all this money and you're still a fucking idiot. Like I would just cop so much shit from people around me and most of it wasn't intentional. I don't think they meant anything bad. It was just that they were just protecting themselves. It made them question things and they thought, well, you know, we're living life the right way. You know, when people are criticizing you, it's essentially saying I'm living life the right way and you're doing it all wrong. I just found it interesting that, you know, when we caught up and they said, we always knew you'd make it, you know, you're always different and you're always pushing for something better. Yeah, I just wonder when they realized that because I would have much preferred that my friend said to me, look, mate, we've got you back. You go do what you're going to do. Like, I'm not going to change, but you know, we wish you all the best and we're always here for you. I never had those conversations. So yeah, that was something that I had to realize as well is that I couldn't live an extraordinary life by thinking like the majority of average people. This concludes part one of the biggest mindset patterns that I needed to crack in order to get our business and finances to break through the earning bottleneck. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to jump across to our Facebook group, the No BS Business Hacks for Driven Mofos. Just jump in Facebook, hit the search bar and type in No BS Business Hacks and it will come up with our group. Please join it. I'm dropping daily content in there that will help you to thrive in both your personal life and also your business as well. Anyway, Driven Mofos, I look forward to seeing you back here for part number two. <music>